hopefully this week has been an encouraging week for you and an opportunity to, to just reflect on Easter a bit. Um, the week after Easter is always an interesting time because uh, we have an opportunity to reflect on the grace of God and then we, we kind of move away from the festivities of, of Easter and, um, and have just a kind of a, a lull, I think, sometimes in what is to follow. And my hope is that this past week was an opportunity to, to continue to reflect on the resurrection. And if you recall, last week we looked at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and we talked about the resurrection advocate, that we have an advocate in Christ Jesus. We also talked through the idea that in our culture today, we experience uh, some, I would say, some avenues that don't show God's grace and mercy. So we talked about the idea of cancel culture and the, the power of cancel culture in our, in our world today. And that, that cancer culture actually prevents us from experiencing true mercy and true grace from a world in need. So one of the things that this morning we're going to talk about is another kind of cultural phenomenon just for a second. It's, it's kind of been all over the media, right? And one of those things is the idea of fake news. We hear that a lot. We heard it a lot, especially in November during the election. And we've heard it over the course of the, the year. Uh, and people have all kinds of reactions to, to the idea of fake news. Some look at it and, and believe it's contrived. And others believe that it's justified. The truth is, is that if we really understand our culture, if we really understand our world, the truth is that bias exists everywhere. And we live in a culture that is biased, that has moved to a, a culture that loves uh, debate and loves disruption and loves confusion. And it even moves us to a place where we begin to doubt what is really true. Years ago, I remember going to Great America. And uh, in Great America, they had, I think it was like the first real big like IMAX movie screen. I think that's where, where IMAX first came out. And I remember watching this film. And in the film, I mean, this made such an impression on me that one of the films, and may, many of you may have seen it at that time, uh, but there was an airplane and they took a stunt uh, a, a stunt pilot up along with a, a wing walker. And the wing walker jumps off the airplane at a fairly good altitude and free falls and then catches this other airplane. And I remember thinking, and I walked out of it, and I'm like, Dad, how do they do that? Like, how do they have the technology to make it look like that just happened? My dad's like, that was not fake. That was real, Right? And I'm like, no way, no way, there's no way that was real. And then they talked about how they made this, how, how it actually did occur, how the, the stunt wing walker dove off of this airplane and caught another airplane. And it was, it was bizarre, it was crazy. And I, I remember at the time thinking, I don't really even know what's true and what's fake anymore. And I was literally, this was the late mid to late 80s. I was probably 1985, 86, somewhere in there. And I remember thinking at the time, 
boy, it's hard right now to tell what's really true and what's fake. Jump to 2021. Things like CGI, special effects, multimedia everywhere, social media everywhere, and a culture that doesn't value truth. A culture that uses phrases like this. I I need to be honest about my truth. I I need you you need to be a person that is is free to express your truth. That's not truth. It's maybe an experience. It's maybe an opinion, but, but truth stands on its own. It doesn't change. And so, this morning what we're going to do is deal with this idea of God's truth. That there's truthful news out there. And it's not found at CNN, and it's not found at Fox News. And it's not found in the Wall Street Journal or the San Francisco Chronicle. But that truthful news is found in the Word of God. And it's found in the person and work of Jesus. That's the truthful news. And so, the truth isn't how we feel. And the truth isn't our opinion. But there is a holder of that truth. And the holder of that truth is Jesus Christ. He is the one and the only one who holds the truth. And it is in and through Christ that he has given us the ability to discern truth. To know truth and to see truth. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. And we're going to be talking this morning about the truth as it relates to to the gift of grace. So let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word this morning, as we look at God's word together. And this is what it says, starting in verse 1, going all the way through verse 10. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, take your word this morning and implant it on our hearts. Lord, move me out of the way, and God, you bring forth your word in power and in truth. God, may we embrace your grace this morning. 
May we respond to it, God, with joy and with obedience. May you convict our hearts where we need to be pricked to see your grace in a new way. And Father, may we rely on you as our source of truth, knowing that your grace has been made available to us through the work of the cross. Father, this morning, speak to us and may your spirit move freely. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. At the center of our passage this morning is the idea that only through faith in Christ are we able to experience salvation and the powerful truth of his grace. Only through faith in Christ are we able to experience salvation and the powerful truth of his grace. Now, the temptation as we hear and we look at this passage this morning, especially for those who have responded to Christ's grace through faith, is to go, I already know this. The challenge is the Ephesians knew it as well. The church of Ephesus knew it as well. And yet, what we're told at the beginning of, of chapter 1, at the beginning of this letter, Paul begins it this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul is actually writing the church of Ephesus and reminding them of the blessings of Christ. We too need to be reminded of the blessings of Christ. We need to be reminded of this gift of grace that Christ is offering. And Paul was encouraging those in Ephesus to remember these blessings and the work of God's grace in their lives. In fact, he knew that when the, the idea of God's grace began to, to wane or fade in people's lives, he knew that the people become prideful and lazy and grow cold towards Christ if they failed to live in the power of grace. Ever been behind a guy or a woman that owns a Mustang or a Corvette? Maybe, maybe you're not quite as aggressive as I am when you're driving. But ever watch them drive in the slow lane? For me, it's maddening. I'm like, you've paid all that money for a car that goes fast, and you don't go fast. Right? You're not using it. It's what it's intended for. Go buy the Hyundai. Go get the Prius. If you want, buy a golf cart but not the Corvette or the Mustang. Put your foot in it, buddy, right? That's how I feel about it, right? Now, as I've gotten older, I understand why, but I, I'm just saying that there are times when I've looked and I've looked out as I'm driving on the freeway going, what are you doing? You have this car that is full of power and you use none of its power. You're happy to look good with it. I think sometimes it's how we are with Christ. We're happy to look good with Christ. But we're happy to say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet truly live by no power in Christ. It's like having 
the V8 under the hood, but never going faster than 25 miles an hour. It looks nice, but you miss the blessing of the car. Sometimes we do that with Jesus, where we, we somehow feel comfortable with the appearance of aligning ourselves with Jesus, but the truth is, is we never actually live in the power of His grace. Paul's reminding the Ephesians of this grace. And he gives them the truthful news about God's grace. And that truthful news is not always going to be good. We live in a culture, right, that they thrive on bad news. Try to find the good news in a newspaper article. I mean, void of, of, of getting too critical. Having worked with some of the leaders and some of the other pastors in this community over the last several months, even our local press finds and drives through the negative. In fact, they do an article called Close to Home so they can actually do something positive about the community. They actually have to set it apart. It's fascinating to me that we thrive on the, the bad news. In fact, we even have to set apart some scheduled opportunity to actually provide good news. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we actually experienced the good news of COVID? Wouldn't it be awesome if we said that churches are more aligned together in partnership and unity than they've ever been in this county because of COVID? Wouldn't it be awesome to say that people have met their neighbors and interacted with their neighbors in ways that they've never done before? Wouldn't it be awesome to say that there are benefits to slowing down in life than, rather than speeding up? And in some ways, wouldn't it be nice to say that our focus isn't always about ourselves, but it's about others? There's good news. Well, Paul starts here with the bad news. But he doesn't remain there. And so when we look at the truthful news about God's grace, let's first talk about the bad news. That apart from God's grace, we are dead in sin. The bad news. Apart from God's grace, we are dead in sin. Paul tells them that we are all were dead in sin and that we were spiritually dead, each one of us. So what's the cause of this death? The cause of this death is sin. Now Paul uses two words here. He uses sin and trespasses. They both refer to sin, but they're different words in Greek, and there's a reason for that. The word trespass in Greek is the word periptoma, and it literally means to wander off the path. That's what it means. Trespasses mean to wander off the path. Think, think about this for a minute. Trespassing, which is where we get our word from trespassing, you've wandered off of your property or on open property onto somebody else's property. It's the idea that you've mistakenly ended up someplace that you're not to be. Now, we know that not all trespassing is a mistake, Right? A lot of times, it's intentional. We'll go, hey, I want to get to there, so I'm going to go across the property here, even though it says no trespassing. So 
Trespasses is the idea of wandering off the path. Well, sin in Greek is the word hamartia, and it means to miss the mark. So what is Paul writing here? Why does he use both words? Well, what he's saying here is that basically sin causes spiritual death because it prevents us from being holy. We've wandered off the path. We've missed God's mark for holiness, which is God's standard. And then it causes us to stray looking for answers to satisfy our needs. So here's what's happening. We miss God's standard. We miss the mark for holiness. And because we miss the mark for holiness, we stray looking for answers in all the wrong places to satisfy our needs. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. He says, just as a person physically dead does not respond to physical stimuli, so a person spiritually dead is unable to respond to spiritual things. A corpse does not hear the conversation going on in a funeral parlor. He has no appetite for food or drink. He feels no pain. He's dead. Just so with the inner man of the unsaved person. His spiritual faculties are not functioning, and they cannot function until God gives him life. That's how we are in sin. What happens is those who are dead in sin simply become dead men walking or dead women walking. See, people are deceived. And they look at themselves and they see the physical life and assume all is well with their spiritual life. It's one of the greatest dangers of living in a culture that is affluent, that is comfortable, is that because of our affluence and comfort, we can look around in our surroundings and go, well, if our physical life is good, our spiritual life must be as well. One of the best things about COVID has been that it's shown us as a culture of a need for something greater than ourselves. It spurned people to look for answers to hope, to life. It's one of the reasons that if all we've gotten out of the past year and a half is grumbling, we've missed the opportunity that God has placed before us to exclaim and proclaim the hope of Christ. As Christians, we should live differently. We should not fear death the way that the world fears death. We can't. It doesn't mean that we live with reckless abandon. But it does mean that in the same way that the world looks upon us, they should see us living as a hopeful people, not a fearful people. See, Jesus made it clear that our lives will reveal the truth of who is reigning. Matthew seven sixteen through 17 says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So if we're living, whether we've responded to Christ in grace or we haven't, if we are living for things that are not of God, what he's pointing us to is the fact that one, maybe if we're claiming Christ, if we're living in such a way as the world, we may not have Christ. And for those who are looking for answers, 
He's saying, look, I'm going to show you some things. Because the fruit of spiritual death is clear. And what does it look like? Well, the first thing he shows us here is in verse 2. He says, in once you walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Well, the first fruit of spiritual death that we see here is worldliness. Worldliness. And that worldliness is actually equal to being influenced by Satan. Have you ever thought about that? That when you put the world's standards or the world's priorities equal with God, he's actually saying that you are not passively just kind of putting the world there next to God, but you are actually actively being influenced by Satan. That's crazy. It changes our perspective about materialism, doesn't it? It changes our perspective about our pursuit of Christ. If we believe that we can compromise God's standard of truth and feel like that Christ is standing with us or influencing us, we've missed what he's saying here. Worldliness is actually equal to being influenced by Satan. Notice what he says. In once you walked, all of us walked, following the course of this world. And then what does it say? Following the prince of the power of the air. Paul's making a statement of equality here. To be worldly minded is to be influenced by Satan, not by God. And he says that that will be produce disobedience. The word for world there is the word cosmos in Greek. And it refers to the order and structure of the world. So if we order our lives according to the world, we're actually being influenced by Satan. That's what he's saying. John Cossey's not here right now, but one of the things I remember John sharing with me years ago was shortly after he retired. And I remember him sharing with me about what retirement might look like. And then he shared with me the reality of it. And he said, I've never been more busy in my life. I just don't have a job to go to. And he talked about what that was, that in retirement, it was about serving Christ and how many opportunities that Christ had brought to him. I wonder truthfully in our lives if we planned for retirement and we looked at retirement and we thought not about what we got to do on the beach in Tahiti, but we thought about the freedom that we got to serve Christ with recklessness. And I'm talking in terms of freedom, not irresponsibility, but with an absolute freedom to give myself 100% to the things and work of God. How does that look different than the world? Is it no wonder that studies suggest that people die five to seven years after retirement if they have no purpose in their life? As followers of Christ, we're to look different. God didn't call us to step away from our faith regardless of how old we are or what phase of life we're in. Whether we're two or 98, the purpose is the same. What if I didn't compromise my children's lives for sports? 
What if community was actually seen in the body of Christ and the body of Christ was going out into the world? What if my definition of success was not owning a home or owning a car, but was the approval of God's will living in a shanty shack in India ministering to people who needed Jesus? It doesn't mean we can't enjoy the blessings that God has given us, but it does mean that our definition of success, our definition of hope, Our definition of security is different than the priority of the world. And our pursuits, therefore, must be different and have to be different. Because God's pursuits are not being influenced by Satan. But he's the one influencing our lives. One person puts it this way. He says, Satan influences the lives of all unbelievers and also seeks to influence believers. He wants to make people children of disobedience. He himself was disobedient to God, so he wants others to disobey him too. The unsaved multitudes today in today's world system disobey God because they believe the lies of Satan. When a person believes and practices a lie, he becomes a child of disobedience. It's one of the reasons that when we put our hope in the things of this world, when we stake our hope to a president or to a a governor or to a political leader, or, or we stake our hope to our boss, or we stake our hope to our money, we've believed a lie. And the gospel breaks through this. The second work that we see of spiritual death or the second fruit of spiritual death is that it's lust driven it's lust driven which equals eternal destruction it's basically passion driven we're being moved and around in ways that feed ourselves feed our flesh feed our our earthly desires God says that whenever we're led by that, it leads to eternal destruction. Philippians 3, 18 through 19 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Wow. We set our minds on earthly things because we lust after those things. Lust is not all sexual. Lust has all kinds of passions that exist. It's being driven by our passions rather than the truth and the spirit. So what's the good news? We've looked at the bad news. Well, the good news is that God's love for us is demonstrated through His grace. The bad news is, is apart from God's grace, we're dead in sin. The good news is, is that God's love for us is demonstrated through His grace. Verse 4 says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. And as a result of God's love, verse 5 continues, By grace you have been saved. Now, grace in Christ gives us three things. One, His life. Secondly, his fellowship. And third, his purpose. 
His life, fellowship, and purpose. That's what comes through the work of God's grace. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Do we understand that? Do we get it? This is the God that desires relationship with you. This is a God that loves you so much that even while you were dead, he came to you. That's an awesome thing. I, I, I mean, I, I have to honestly ask this. When was the last time that somebody was dead and you went to them and gave them life? Right? I mean, I hope everybody in this room is saying never. Right? But God comes to us as the walking dead and gives us life. And what God gives us through his grace is he gives us his life. And then on top of that, he says, listen, you were dead. That was the past. Now I've given you my life and I'm, you're actually seated with me at the right hand of God positionally. That as I sit there, you experience all the blessings that I have. All of the knowledge that I have gained from the Father, I give to you. Every word that he speaks, I am teaching you. That's awesome. And then he says that this grace is immeasurable. It's poured out abundantly upon you. And so we have the past position, which is dead in sin. We have the present position for those who have repented and believed that it is through Christ that we have life. And because he has access to the throne, we therefore can begin to understand heavenly things in Christ. And then he says, so that in coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There will come a day when God restores his people completely. We are no longer children of wrath, but we have been set aside to be redeemed and restored completely for his glory. That should move our hearts. We were once dead, now we have life, and there will come a day when we will be perfected completely in his glory. Boy, that is the opposite of being dead men walking, isn't it? And our lives need to be lived as people who are alive in Christ, not dead in sin. Who live as people who are seeking to glorify God in all of his purposes. Now we just read from Philippians a minute ago. But now verses 20 through 21 actually takes that part of destruction that it just spoke about. And moves us into verses 21 to 20 through 21. And now affirms his truth in Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Which says, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Awesome. Paul wants us to understand that our lives here are but a moment. But in that moment, our lives are designed to be on the path of Christ in holiness as his witness. And that we are to live as a people for his glory. One commentator put it this way, the converts are to be reminded what they have been delivered from as well as what they've been lifted into. They must be led to look down again into the pit, into the grave from which grace called them out and set them free. We need to be able to see the contrast of who we once were and reminded of who we once were to who we are now. One of the greatest challenges in that is is that for many of us, we still have areas in our life that look very similar to what they looked like before we knew Christ. And those are areas that God is calling each of us to be submitted to Christ to every single day. That His grace is enough for those sins as well. John 11, verses 25 through 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So we had the bad goods, we, news, we had the good news. I talked to Kelly earlier, thought about coming up with the ugly news. I've titled it personal news and thought that might be offensive if I called it personally ugly. Um, taking that upon myself. So we're going to talk about the personal news. Not the good, bad, and the ugly, but the good, bad, and the personal. What's the personal news? Salvation by grace given to us through faith alone. The personal news is salvation by grace given to us through faith alone. Verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. There is nothing we can do to earn God's salvation. It is a gift for God in which God has encountered us in which God has gone to the cross on our behalf. Romans 3, 20-25 says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by what? By faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. This is awesome news. But it involves faith. We will never please God trying to do things in our own strength. And we will never experience holiness by trying to do things in, God's, in, our, in our own strength. 
It has to be believing that God can be working in our life and believing that God's grace is fully sufficient for me. And that by submitting to Him, He will work in me a new heart. A new heart that's already been granted in completion. Sometimes I think that when we come to Christ, we believe that God just kind of builds on the old heart. That's not what His Word says. His Word says that the old has passed away, the new has come. In the same, we are new creations in Christ. What's that like? Well, God continues to use the example of babies and children to describe His followers. And so he starts with us like a baby. He begins working in us something new. He's like the parent that never makes a mistake. Ever have a time, parents, where you look at and go, man, I wish I would have done that differently. Man, I wish I would have started out here instead of there. God never starts that way. He starts out with his perfecting work when we respond to Him in faith. And He gives us a new heart that is moldable and shapeable. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Paul says here, It's not the result of works, so that no man may boast. The tendency for us following Christ is to forget God's grace. And to make our approval from God about what we've done. And some of those things are very noble. Reading God's word, praying, having a devotional time. All things that are helpful in our pursuit of Christ. But not the measure of spiritual fruit. When our view of God's grace is too small. We will begin to make our approval before God about what we've done rather than what he's done. We will see his grace as an event that we experience rather than the life that we live. It's one of the reasons that churches for years, I believe, got away from the gospel. The gospel was for new believers. And then we teach you how to live. Basically, the the gospel was the cake that got us there and everything else was the frosting that made the cake delicious. Problem is, you know that frosting is too sweet. It's unsatisfying. There's no substance. And that's what happens when we teach moralism rather than the gospel. Paul consistently and regularly drew his people back to the gospel regardless of if they were walking with Christ or not walking with Christ the letters of Paul are full and rich of the gospel and we need to be reminded of this gospel all the time so what's an important truth that take away from this Verse 10 tells us, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is the beginning, not the end work of God's grace in our lives. Salvation is the beginning, not the end work 
of God's grace in our lives. It's not one and done. It's not just come to Christ by by putting your faith in Him and saying, God, it's all yours, I got nothing else to do, and whatever happens, happens. It is a life of being continually submitted to Him through faith. It's a life that's lived by walking in faith, taking steps with Christ in faith, and living in the power of His Spirit through faith. This word workmanship in Greek refers to a manufactured project product. It gives the idea that something is created meticulously with creativity and purpose. Here's the thing. God made you uniquely for his purpose and he gifted you uniquely for his purpose. Don't be somebody else. Don't be somebody else. And be content with the purpose that God has given you. Be content. Discontent will always lead us to disobedience and discontent will always push us towards worldliness. We're a workmanship created by God. Linda's a workmanship created by God. Isaiah is a workmanship created by God. Rachel's a workmanship created by God. Mary is a workmanship created by God. Ish is a workmanship created by God. Each of us are workmanships created by God. Meticulously for His purpose. Don't believe the lie. God is desiring to use you for his kingdom as well. And he desires to use you for his purpose, not in your power, but by his grace, through faith. Alan Carr says this, and we'll leave it this way this morning. If you are saved, you are a billboard upon which God writes his love for the lost. Your life is a testimony to his saving power. Let us live like him. Let us love like him. Let us labor for him. Let us do these things so that others might be drawn to him and that they too might be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the news of your grace the truthful news, the news that can be trusted. There's so many things to doubt, God. And you've given us something not to doubt in at all, but you've given us the truth. May we rejoice in your grace this morning, knowing that it is a gift from you so that one, we may not boast, and two, that we might see our love for you knowing that you have granted it freely. May we respond to this grace through faith. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.